1 Corinthians. So 2 Chronicles 34, and let me give you a little context about what's going on, okay? Maybe some of you might be new to Bible study, and so you've been reading in the Old Testament. Maybe some of you in D group are, are in the Old Testament now, as you would be, and you've, you've been confused about some things because it's kind of confusing. you got uh, seemingly, you know, two things going on at one time, and well, that's because, let me help explain some of it. So David is the king of Israel, and he leads the nation in an amazing way. And then when he passes away, he turns over uh, the kingship to his son Solomon, who then, you know, becomes the wisest man who ever lived, who, uh, again, is a, a great leader. He doesn't exactly finish well, but he accomplishes a lot of great things, builds the temple, establishes temple worship, so on and so forth. But after Solomon, the kingdom splits in half. And so that's why when you're reading in First and Second Kings, uh, it can be a little confusing because you have kings of Israel and kings of Judah. So the people of God split into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is called Israel. It's made up of ten tribes, and it's centered around Samaria. That's where their temple is, where they worship. The other two tribes are in the southern kingdom. They become the kingdom of Judah and they worship in Jerusalem. And so you have kings of Israel and kings of Judah going on at the same time. Um, now, when you... Well, we're actually going to start a series this Wednesday uh, where we're going to uh, preach through these chapters and we're going to deal with each individual king. And so there's lots of wonderful practical things that we can learn from these kings and their leadership. And so I'm excited about that. We'll start that Wednesday. But this morning, here's what I want you to think about. Now, if, if you were to have a chart in front of you that listed all the kings of the northern kingdom of Israel and all the kings of the southern kingdom of Judah, they would all be defined by a word. And in Israel... Every king that reigned in Israel would be defined by the same word, and that word is evil. So it's just evil, 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 and on and on it goes. In Judah, it's evil, 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 then good. King Hezekiah comes along and does what's right in the sight of the Lord and doesn't turn to the right or to the left. Then it's evil, evil, then good. And every once in a while in Judah three times to be exact, God said, here's a good king who does what's right and doesn't turn aside to the right or to the left. And so it makes you think about something, okay? That people don't become kings in a vacuum. What I mean is, is that when the crown is placed on their head and they become king, they inherit certain things. There's a culture that's already in play that they didn't have anything to do with. There's a, there's a legacy that's already being sort of, that they're the recipient of, that's gone before them. And so when they become king, there's a, there's a set of circumstances, there's a culture, there's a, there's a current pushing the nation that they're now the leader of in a certain direction. And so it's very interesting to study these kings and to, and to look at what it is that the, 
What was the condition of the land when they became king? And then what did they do with it? How did they navigate the difficulties of what they had inherited and what they had uh, been given? And there's a lot of things for us to think about because we are going to spend these few weeks talking about what it is to be distinct and realizing that the God of the Bible from the very beginning As you read the Bible, you instantly realize there's a lot of weird things in the Bible. It's just weird. I mean, God is telling His people to do certain things that are weird and to not do certain things that are weird. And it doesn't make any sense. And and it would be normal for you as a new believer reading the Bible for the first time to think, I don't know what's going on here. And I love having... Uh, young believers in my D group and discipling them. And, but there's times where it gets a little bit awkward, you know, because I know there's going to be that week when the reading is going to lead us to a conversation about circumcision, and it's just weird. It's just awkward. And I always wonder, like, what do the ladies' groups do on this week? Like, how does that conversation go? Now, And I don't want to know. I just wonder that. So please, God, don't tell me because I really don't want to know. I just wonder. And just leave me in my ignorance because I don't even want to know. But, you know, like why we can can eat this, but we can't eat this. You you can't eat meat with blood. You can't do that. I mean, and, and you need to, I mean, what is going on? And from the beginning, God is building a people that are distinct amongst all the people around them. That it becomes very clear that what God wants to do is God wants to have a people that don't look like the people around them. And what you see is that when God's people are faithful, all the nations around them marvel at the way that they interact with their God and the things that God does in and through them. And it's a platform for the world to see the glory of God. And then what happens as we move into the New Covenant in the New Testament then God puts His Spirit within us and we become the temple and we become a walking representation of what it means to live and follow an amazing and wonderful God of the universe. And the distinctiveness of what God calls us to, which, which, listen now, is primarily not what we don't do. It's primarily what we do. That is the most compelling example to the world around us as to what it's like to know and be loved by the God of the Bible. That God desires a distinct people so that the world will know His glorious nature and come into relationship with Him. That's been His purpose from the very beginning. And that's His purpose today. And you know what? We have... Uh, inherited a culture. We live in a culture. And it's a culture that has a current that's going a certain direction. And there's things that are happening around us. And we maybe uh, didn't have anything to do with that or had some small role in that or whatever the case may be, but that's what it is. And so the question is, how are we going to react and interact and live and be distinct amongst the people of the culture in which we've been thrust into. 
So let's pray and ask God to help us this morning to have an open heart and be willing to hear the things he wants to say to us that he might be glorified in our time together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you have sovereignly ordained for us. God, each of us here, each tuning in online, we're here in this moment to hear this word from you to us, to be instructed, to be encouraged, to be chastised, to be, uh, Lord, to, to be made more into your image. And that's our desire. So will you help us? God, will you give us ears to hear? Will you prepare our hearts to receive and give us courage to obey the things you say to us today? God of Josiah, we know you are a God who can do all things. So will you meet us here and do what only you can do? And we promise to give you and you alone the glory, praise, and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, what happens when we enter into this culture, that, that this flow that we find ourselves in? If you have your listening guide, here's your first blank. See, most kings, as you read, you're going to find out they get swept up in the current of their day. And if you look around today, you're going to find most Christians get swept up in the current of their distinctive. You don't see a Christian culture today that is living distinctive. You don't see that. You see a Christian culture that's very tribal, that does not look much at all like what we see pictured in the Scripture. And I wonder why that is. Well, it ought to be relatively easy to understand that going with the flow is going to be the easy thing to do. Because, see, the, the thing about dis being distinct is it's hard. It's hard. I mean, I wish I could stand up here this morning and I could tell you, you know, this is, this is so much easier. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to make your life so much simpler. And if you would just, but it's not. It's hard. And nobody's lining up to do hard things today. Everybody wants the easiest, quickest, simple way to get through whatever it is they're facing. You see, if you're going to swim upstream against the culture, you're going to do a lot more work than everybody else. And not only that, in order for that to happen, you're going to have to make a conscious, intentional decision to be distinct. I mean, you're going to have to sell out to it. Because it is going to be hard at every turn. But I think you know it's going to be worth it. And it's going to be the greatest thing that you could have ever done. But it's not going to be, it's not going to be easy. See, the Bible, the Bible says, for example, in Romans chapter 12, that we are not to be conformed to the things of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Now, it's not easy to renew your mind because, you know, you, do you know what is necessary to renew your mind you have to think and right there I lose half of America you got to think 
It's going to take thinking to renew your mind. But the Bible says if you renew your mind, your life will prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Now, who doesn't want to prove what's the good and acceptable and perfect will of God? But it's not just going to drop out of the sky and be handed to you on a silver platter. It's going to be hard. And so what I, what I want you to do before we jump into this text is, I want you to ask yourself this question. What's one area in my life where I'm treading water? I want you to just be honest. Because if you're in here this morning and you're saying, there is nowhere in my life that I'm treading water, I, I, I don't think you're being honest. I think you're lying. And I think that there may be multiple areas where you're treading water. But I just want you in your heart, before we get into this, just acknowledge what might that area be where you're treading water. And, and what happens when you tread water in a, in a current? You move. And you don't move upstream, you move downstream. And this culture has a very strong current. This modern Corinth that we live in has a very strong current. And wherever you're treading water, wherever you're not intentionally and directly uh, committed to swimming upstream, you're moving. And it's in the wrong direction. All right, let's look. 2 Chronicles 34. It's about 650 B.C. It's uh, dark beyond belief, as you're going to see. It's, a, it's an extraordinarily difficult time. Uh, we should be able to relate to uh, the spiritual condition of the culture in which we find these verses. Now let's look, verse 1, 2 Chronicles 34, the Bible says Josiah was eight years old when he became king. So right off the bat is the shocking information. How in the world do you end up in a scenario where there's an eight-year-old who is the king? Now my nine-year-old was in the first service, and I said, Dear Lord, I don't want to be a part of a country where she's the king. <laughs> I mean, I love her. But she's already got a queen complex, and we don't want to put a crown on her head or it's going to go bad. So you know things are bad when an eight-year-old becomes king. And the Bible says he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He walked in the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right or to the left. Now, th this passage is one of the places in Scripture that has been most informative in my own personal journey with God. From the very beginning, from the very first time I encountered the story of Josiah, it has been very pivotal in my life. And probably the reason for that is that when I read 2 Chronicles 34, verse 1, the first thing that leaps off the page to me is there's an 8-year-old who becomes king. That couldn't have been because of good circumstances. When I was eight years old, I became fatherless. And so anytime an eight-year-old boy comes up, I'm tuning into that situation. Now, what was the current that Josiah at age eight inherited? Just like when I was eight years old, there was a, a current that was happening that, that I had nothing to do with, but that suddenly I was 
plunged into this scenario and this situation, this set of circumstances that I had to survive and navigate, he in the same way at eight years old becomes king. So what was it? Well, let me just show you some verses to give you some context to understand what this eight-year-old is up against. Let me introduce you to his, you know, now that I'm a grandfather, I'm going to introduce you to his wonderful grandpa Manasseh. Manasseh. Now, 2 Kings 21 is the, is the parallel passage to 2 Chronicles, so you can learn from the two of them. I'm going to show you some verses from 2 Kings 21 about Josiah's grandfather. The Bible says Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. 55 years. Now, think about that. His mother's name was something crazy. And then he, uh, he did evil in the sight of the Lord, According to the abominations, please don't name your child that, abominations of uh, the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. And so he does evil in the sight of the Lord. The Bible goes on to tell us, for he rebuilt all the high places. These are uh, false god worship temples that Hezekiah, the godly king, his father. So Josiah's great grandfather was the great king Hezekiah, who did a lot of wonderful things. But he tore down everything Hezekiah did. He raised up altars to Baal. He made wooden images as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. And he worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. Then the Bible says he also built altars in the house of the Lord. So he went into the temples that were dedicated for the God Yahweh of the Bible. And he started burning incense and building all these false altars in the temple of the Lord. Hmm. Where God had said, in Jerusalem I will put my name, he built altars to all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Then he made his son pass through the fire. He worshipped, one of the gods that he worshipped is, is named Molech. And, in, and to worship Molech, he is a god of human sacrifice. And so Manasseh was such a wonderful grandfather that he sacrifice one of his children on the altar to the false god Molech. He practiced soothsaying. He used witchcraft. He consulted spiritists and mediums. He did evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. The Bible goes on to say at the end of this passage, Manasseh seduced the people to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. So you see what the, the, the grandfather of Josiah, what a wicked individual he was and all the horrific things that he did to advance the kingdom of darkness and to be a, 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 a vessel of pain and suffering for the people as he led them away. Now, what about Josiah's dad? Well, let me introduce you to uh, Daddy Amon. So his dad in 2 uh, Kings 21, it says... He was 22 when he became king, so that's more natural. He reigned only two years in Jerusalem. So that tells you that his reign abruptly ended, and that's why Josiah ended up king at age 8. Why did he only reign, uh, be there two years? Well, he did evil in the sight of the Lord in the time that he had. He walked in all the ways of his father, wicked Manasseh, and he served the idols of his father that he served, and he worshipped them, and he forsook the Lord God and his fathers, and he did not walk in the way of the Lord. Look at what happened to him. And then the servants, not from the outside, from the inside, his own servants executed him two years into his reign 
which then led to Josiah being thrust in as king. Now, what actually happened was, was that uh, his servants rebelled against the reign of his wickedness. They murdered him and all of Josiah's family members, but the high priest had hidden Josiah away, so he survived. And after the dust settled, then Josiah was found to be living and so on and so forth, and then was uh, made to be king. So at eight years old, he becomes king after 57 years of evil. This is what he inherits as an eight-year-old. His father and his grandfather had left a legacy of wickedness, debauchery, and unspeakable deeds. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, if you've ever heard anything said about Josiah, you know that Josiah was one of the greatest leaders who ever lived. And he did amazing things. And if there's a person that exemplifies being distinct in the Old Testament, it would be hard-pressed not to choose Josiah as that person. And so what I want to do this morning is I want us to, to learn about being distinct from Josiah. How in the world did this eight-year-old with this legacy and this culture he inherited and this, this current that was pushing so hard in one direction, how did he turn the world around, turn the people around him around? How did he turn this nation around? How did he do the great things that he did? And how can that help me and you understand how to be distinct today in the culture in which we live? And the first thing I want you to see is that distinction doesn't grow alone. It doesn't grow alone. Distinction doesn't grow alone. You know, you don't become distinct by yourself. You don't do that. You don't, you don't become distinct by sitting at home, reading your Bible, praying, doing all these spiritual disciplines. That's not going to make you distinct. That's going to make you spiritually knowledgeable. That's going to teach you a lot of things. Now, I want you to think about the testimony you just heard from Austin, who grew up in Christian school, Christian medical schools, Christian high school. He said he hung around Christians. But there was never a conversation about discipleship. You know, he was just around Christian people, and so he thought, well, I'm around Christian people, so that's good enough. And guess what? That doesn't make you distinct. It doesn't, that's not how distinctiveness works. Now, how did it work for Josiah? Well, let, let, me, let me let you in on some of the backstory. See, Josiah had some people around him from birth. First of all, he had a cousin named Zephaniah who has a book in the Bible. The prophet Zephaniah was his cousin. And so Zephaniah was in the picture and no doubt had an influence on him. Also, whenever you study Josiah's life, you keep running across the name Hilkiah. Hilkiah was the head high priest. And he 
was always involved in Josiah's life. And he was the one who we think hid him away and orchestrated that whole plan. And so Hilkiah was part of Josiah's life and part of the influence on Josiah. And then also, Hilkiah had a son whom you might have heard of. His name is Jeremiah. And Hilkiah's son, Jeremiah, began to prophesy during this time and no doubt had a profound influence on Josiah. The reason we know that those two interacted quite a bit with one another is that when you read the book of Jeremiah, there are multiple places where he makes reference to what has to be Josiah because exactly what he says is what happens in the life of Josiah. So he has these godly people around him. He has this community of faith, if you will, that begins to disciple him. Now, did you notice in the first couple of verses, it says that Josiah walked in the ways of his father, David. Now, I just told you his father's name was Amon. He walked in the ways of King David because the people around him, the people who influenced him, the people who mentored him, did so in the Scriptures and, and elevated David as a godly example to him. And so they taught him about King David. Now, King David was a great leader who did a lot of great things, but he wasn't perfect. He made mistakes. He was human. But Josiah was instructed in the Scriptures, and he was taught about David. Now, what you have to understand is that Josiah couldn't be, uh, he couldn't be discipled in all the Scriptures because Manasseh had conveniently burned them all. So there was very few copies of any of the Scripture. And probably, most likely, nobody had a, a full copy of the Pentateuch, but, you know, the first five books of the Bible. But they did have records of David's godly deeds, the man who had a heart after God. And so they taught him, and they discipled him, and they surrounded him. And this is so important. Let me ask you a question. Who's influencing you? Whether you own it or not, and whether you admit it or not, you're being influenced by people. Because all of us, as I said last week, God made us to be influenced by who surrounds us. And so who is it that influences you? Who? Because somebody is influencing you. Now, you're either intentional about who that is or you're passive, but either way, you're being influenced. In other words, who influences your marriage? Who influences your parenting? How do you make parenting decisions? How do you decide how you're going to handle things that are gray areas, that are, uh, you know, there's, there's no direct command, thou shalt do this or not do this. So, so what do you do in those areas? Who influences how you spend your money? Use your finances. Who influences how you act at work? Everyone in here, every single one of us, is being influenced in all the areas of our life. No matter what age we are, we're being influenced. So who is it? My next question is, whom do you influence? Because whoever's around you, you're influencing. And so 
Who is, that, who is it that you're influencing? Are, do, are you acknowledging in your heart who they are and how it is you're doing that? Are you intentional about that? Are you thinking about that? Because distinction won't grow alone. If you want to change your legacy, you've got to change your community. Now listen, nobody in here knows this better than me. You may know it as well as me, but you don't know it better than me. Because at eight years old, I became fatherless. And nobody stepped up to say, you know what, Tony, I'm going to teach you how to be a dad. I didn't have a dad, and I didn't have anybody to teach me how to be a dad. And then I got married and realized I've never seen a marriage. I don't know how to be a husband because I've never seen a husband. So how do you do that? And I learned to be a father. I learned to be a husband. I learned to be a Christian in a new community. You see, I like some of you, inherited a bad legacy. And I woke up one day, and the stream was going really hard in the wrong direction. And I had to figure out what I was going to do. And that doesn't happen alone. It happens in community. Now, some of you in here, you inherited a, a great legacy. So what did you do with it? What did you do with what you were given? You know what's interesting? When you study the kings in the Old Testament, what we're going to find out on Wednesday nights when we go through all these kings, you know what's very fascinating? And horrifying at the same time. There's never two good kings in a row. Which is a warning to us. Most people who inherit a godly legacy squander it. If you want to change your legacy, you've got to change your community. You know, we talk all the time about Proverbs 13, 20. You grew up in my house, you know this verse by heart, forwards, backwards. You could quote it since you were that big. You walk with the wise, you're going to be wise. You're a companion of fools, you're going to be destroyed. But it's interesting, what distinguishes the difference between a wise person and a fool is not what most people think. Most people think the difference between a fool and a wise person is knowledge. But when you look at the Bible, that's not what it is. The difference between a wise person and a foolish person in the Bible is what they do. The difference. That's what creates wisdom. See, Josiah, he, he was plunged into a new community that then trans, transcended all of the pain and suffering and evil that had, had preceded him 
and changed his destiny, changed his legacy. I mean, it wasn't just that one thing because, again, he could have been like so many before who maybe were born into a good situation. Manasseh, his grandfather, who was the worst king Judah ever had, was born after the most amazing king, Hezekiah. Threw it all away. So how do you do this? Why is it so elusive? And here's why. It's very elusive. See, community, what I'm talking about is not hanging around with Christian people. That's good. Austin didn't say that was bad. But that's not going to make you distinct. And most people miss this. Because they think, well, if I just hang around people that go to church and I hang around people that profess the same thing, you know, then I'm going to be okay. No. Not necessarily. If you really want to be distinct, if you really want to grow in the, in the knowledge and understanding of who God is, you're going, to have to, you're going to have to surround yourself with people who are going to challenge you. Who are going to hold you accountable? Who are going to you got to you got to have a, a relationships with people? Listen, the only way I learned how to live was in a community where I was like, "How do you do this?" And 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 the men around me said, "Hey, that's wrong. What are you doing?" And then I would change, and they would hold me accountable, and it would just go, you know, month after month, after year after year. As I was figuring all this out for the first time, I was reading the Bible, but I needed to know how to do it. I knew what it said, but I didn't know how to live it. You've got to be in community with people that are helping you live what you read. And guess what? Most of the time, they're not going to come to you. They're not going to drop out of the sky. You've got to go to them. I can't tell you how many times I've went to somebody and said, hey, will you meet with me? Will you disciple me? Will you teach me? Will you? And whatever it is, I, I've went to people and said, listen, I've seen how you act with your wife, and I want, can you teach me how to be a husband like you? Can I meet with you once a week? Can I meet with you once a month? Whatever your calendar will uh, afford, I'll make it happen. Will you just show me? Will you let me hang around you, and you just show me how you do that? Show me, how do, you, how do you honor God with your finances? How do, you, how do you parent? How do you make decisions? How do you do that? But listen, if there's no accountability, if you're just hanging out, listen, when you're hanging out, guess what's not there? There's no hard conversations. Because I hang out with people, too, just like you. And you know what we do? We just hang out. Well, that's not really true because I can't hang out without hard conversations. If you know me, you know that's true. Brian's like, he's such a liar. But that's just a deficiency in my character. You need community. It'll change your legacy. It'll change your destiny. Distinction comes not alone, but surrounded by people. Now, number two... Distinction takes discretion. See? Now, I'm just telling you, it's hard. 
I told you in the beginning it's hard. This is really, really hard. Look at verse 3. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high place, the wooden images, the carved images, the molded images. Now, how old is Josiah when he becomes king? He's eight. Now he's in the eighth year of his reign, so how old is he? He's 16. So as a 16-year-old, as a teenager, he turns his heart to following God. And then things start happening. Now, I want to tell you something interesting about Josiah. That if you read everything about Josiah in 2 Chronicles and 2 Kings, and you put it all together in one story, you start noticing there's some amazing uh, truths that come out. One of them is this, is that at 16, his heart turns to God. And then, when all of his accomplishments start being listed, which they are many, none of them start until 19. From 16 to 19, he doesn't do anything externally. For four years, he just plunges himself into following God and obeying God and building a relationship with God. And so just like, look, you read throughout the Scripture, the first 40 years of Moses' life, he's out in the wilderness being prepared for the next 40 years. Saul, Paul has an encounter with God on the Damascus Road. And then where is he? For three years he's in the wilderness learning how to know and love and follow Jesus before he ever does anything. Josiah goes off the radar for four years and just plunges himself into discipleship. And then he shows back up on the scene and he starts having discretion. He starts realizing there's all these things in my life. They don't need to be here. And so he starts clearing out all the idols, all the wooden images, all the carved images, all the... But look, here's the beautiful thing about this. This discretion, look, it's hard. Like, you you got you to gotta take responsibility for the things you watch, for the things you hear, for the things you believe, for the people that you hang around with, for the conversations that you get involved in, for the, all the, you, you have to take responsibility for those things. You, if you want to be distinct, it's going to require discretion. And discretion is going to be extraordinarily difficult because no one's going to like your discretion. Nobody. You see, what they want you to do is just, hey, come on. Jesus said that love everybody. Judge nobody. Let's just all hang, along, hang out and get along and it'll be fine. Listen, how many of you were born into a culture, a family culture, where you inherited certain things that you know ought not to be that way, but you don't do anything about it? Because you don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers. Because you don't, want to, you don't want to injure those relationships. You don't want to. And so you know what? You tread water there. Because it's too dicey. It's too painful. And guess what? You're treading water and you're just going right down the flow with the current. 
And here's the problem. The problem is you're going to hand the same junk you got handed to the people that you're responsible for because you didn't do anything about it. you got to have discretion. If you want things to be different, you, there's got to be what is the boundary? And listen to me. You don't put a boundary up when something becomes a problem. You put a boundary up because something can become a problem. Listen. Listen closely to what I'm about to tell you. There's a lot of people in the church. And they do things they probably shouldn't be doing. But they do it anyway. And here's how you justify it. You say, it's not a problem for me. That is the dumbest thing I have ever heard. The absolute dumbest thing I have ever heard. Here's the question you should be asking yourself. I have lots of boundaries in my life. Lots of them. And they're not boundaries around things that I have a problem with or have had a problem with in the past. You know why? Because I can't have a problem with something if I don't ever try it. So here's the question I ask. I don't ask, is it a problem for me? Was it a problem for my father? Was it a problem for his father? I say, is it a problem for anyone? And if it's yes, then I don't want to do it. Because not only do I need to put a uh, discretion around my own life, but I need to take accountability for the people that I'm influencing. Amen. You should take inventory of your life and you should ask yourself, what am I doing that I've said, well, it's not a problem for me. And that is a very foolish, foolish prescription for disaster. So Josiah, he takes, he, he takes discretion, man, and he goes, look, it takes diligence. See, discretion, most people, this is it. You're out. I mean, this is where uh, the JV team is gone. The, I'm just, look, I'm just going to come to church. God's going to be happy. I'm going to get a little star by my name in heaven because I showed up to church and everything's going to be good. I mean, you know, you're just JV. I don't want to be fanatical. I don't want to be... The problem is you're going to be JV on Judgment Day, but that's a whole nother sermon. There's plenty online you can listen to and figure that one out. But the reason why people can't do this is because it takes diligence. Look at verse 4. So he breaks down the altars to the bales in, the pre in his presence. So like he's out there physically looking at all this happening. The incense altars that were above them, he cut them down. The wooden images, the carven images, the molded images, he broke them into pieces. And then he made dust out of them and scattered them on the graves of those who had sacrificed to him. So here's what he does. He doesn't just say, look, I'm going to knock all this junk down because I don't want this stuff influencing me. He takes responsibility for other people. And he says, not only is this about me, but it's about them. You got to take into consideration the choices that you make 
What you don't understand, listen, what so many people don't understand is the choices that you make, that you cloak in liberty, you have no idea of what that is causing, who that is causing to stumble around you. And listen to me, you may think you're skating along now, but when you stand before God, there will be blood on your hands. I promise you. You better, you, you are 100% accountable to God for how you influence the people around you by the decisions that you make. It, it's not just about you. It takes diligence. You've got to rid your life, rid your family, rid your home. How many people are going to have to come into my office. How many families are going to get blown to smithereens? Sit in my office and say, we didn't know anybody was looking at that on the internet. Well, guess what? By the time you find that out, it's too late. If you have internet, you should have discretion. You see, you don't wait until, I mean, there's a thousand examples of that. Everything in this culture is designed to implode you and those around you. So whatever it is that I encounter, I'm immediately cautious. Hmm, I don't know. What about this? What about that? I'm careful. You should be careful. So he purges. I mean, listen, is it, is, is it his job to purge everything from all over the place? No. But he does it. He takes responsibility and does it. Look, look, at, look at verse 5. This is a great place for you to write in your Bible. Look at verse 5. Underline the word he. He burned the bones of the priests on the altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. Verse 6. Underlined he did. And so he did in the city of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, as far as Neptali. Hello, do you? So, Josiah, newsflash, geography lesson. Josiah is the king of the southern kingdom of Judah, right? Do you know where Neptali is? That is the furthest northern city in Israel. He's not the king of Israel. Israel's so wicked, they don't even have a king. They've been overrun by the Assyrians. He's so diligent in his discretion, he goes all the way up to the top of Israel and cleanses Neptali. It's not even his responsibility. But you know what? There's people that live up there that God loves, that are made in his image. And he doesn't want them worshiping idols. What if we universally took that approach? You want to talk about a distinct people? What if we stopped prioritizing ourselves and looking out for number one and we started looking out for all the people around us as well? Man, you talk about distinct. He did it personally. Look, verse 7, when he, underline he, he had broken down the altars of the wooden images, beaten the carved images into powder, cut down all the incense altars throughout the land of Israel, then he, underlined, returned to Jerusalem. You know what he did? He did it personally. You know what? He didn't expect somebody else to do it for him. He did it. 
He didn't, he didn't say, he didn't expect his Sunday school teacher to do it. He didn't, you know what most people would do in Josiah's situation today? Sure you do, because that's what everybody does. Play the victim card. I'm just a victim. Look at, look at the family. It's, uh, my, my dad was a mess. My grandfather was a mess. Everything's been a mess. So that's why I'm a mess. I just inherited a mess. I'm just a victim. I'm not responsible for anything. You know what Josiah did? He took care of it. He did it. He didn't, he didn't get somebody else to do it. He didn't expect his Sunday school teacher to do it. He didn't expect his pastor to do it. He didn't expect, thank God, his wife to do it. Like half the men in the culture today. He wasn't passive. He did it. He took responsibility for what was around him. Amen. What the world needs is more Josiahs. That's what we need. We need God to raise up young men in this fellowship to be like Josiah. To not be looking for some excuse to be a victim. For not be looking for somebody else to do the things God called you to do. Just because it's hard, shut up, get to work, and get it done. Back to the sermon. He did it himself. He did it himself. The third thing about discretion we learn from him is that if you make it through discretion and you think, then you're going to get hit with devotion. Because it is going to take some devotion to be distinct. You know why that is? Because sin doesn't take a day off. You see, you don't deal with sin today and then not have to worry about it tomorrow. That's not how it works. you got to be devoted to this thing. It's a daily war. It never ends. It's every single day. Sin's crouching at my door every day. Trying to get me and the people around me. Trying to get you. Trying to get my kids. And I look around and I see all these people who profess to know and love Jesus, and they're just wandering around like Mr. Magoo in a world full of horrific danger. And I think, how does this end any way but bad? It's a constant battle. It's going to take enormous devotion. Look at verse 30. Go all the way down to verse 30. Look at his devotion. So then Josiah, he goes up to the house of the Lord. So here's what happened. You know who wrote 2 Chronicles? Ezra. So if you know the Bible, you know Ezra's the scribe that, you know, was with Nehemiah. And so, okay, so Ezra's there rebuilding the temple, and he finds a book of the law because Manasseh had burned them all up. And so now they have a Bible, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And so Josiah goes to the house of the Lord, and all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, because it's a big deal the priests and the Levites and all the people, great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the house of the Lord. And so now for the first time in 60 years, they get to hear God's word read. 
Verse 31, and then the king stood in his place and he made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord, to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were in the book. You notice what happens? You notice Josiah, he, 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 doesn't, ex- he doesn't expect anybody else to do something he hasn't done. You see, what God wants is men who lead by example. They're not waiting around for someone else to do it for them. Josiah doesn't, listen, he takes responsibility for what he hears. This same uh, account in 2 Kings says that when the words of the book of the law hit Josiah's ears, his immediate response was to rip his robe and to weep. And so he makes a personal covenant with God to be faithful. Then verse 32 says, and he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin take a stand. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all according to the covenant of God to the God of their fathers, thus Josiah removed all the abominations from all the country that had belonged to the children of Israel and made all who were present in Israel diligently serve the Lord their God. Accountability. All his days they did not depart from following the Lord their God, the God of their fathers. Ladies and gentlemen, in my estimation, that is a description of a hero. That is... A person who in the darkest of times, who when the odds are the steepest, who has inherited nothing but evil, when it looks absolutely like there's no possible chance, it proves God's ongoing and everlasting commitment to the distinctiveness of his people if his people are willing. But there's more. There's more. That's not the, there's so much more to this story, but I'm just going to give you a little nugget as we pull this to a close today, I want you to see how committed to distinctiveness God is. The lengths that he'll go to. See, in the northern kingdom, that's where, I mean, the southern kingdom had all these problems. But the northern kingdom was a fiasco from start to finish. And so they had, by the time Josiah comes on the scene, They've been wiped off the map by the Assyrians because God's just done with them. But a long time ago, there was a king in Israel. And a prophet came. A man of God came. We don't know his name. The Bible doesn't tell us. He just showed up to this wicked king in the middle of his wickedness. And you can write this down on your listening guide. 1 Kings 13. 1 Kings 13. Here's what the first verses of that chapter say. Behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord. And Jeroboam, he's the wicked king. There's Jeroboam, the wicked king. He's in the temple burning incense. He's He's in the act of worshiping a false god. And God sends a prophet to him. And the Bible says, Then he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord, and he said, the prophet said, Altar, altar. Thus says the Lord. And here's what he said to that wicked king. He said, Behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David, And on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you. And men's bones shall be burned on you. 
And then the prophet gave a sign that same day saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Surely the altar in which you stand right now will be split apart. So it came to pass when Jeroboam heard the sayings of the man of God that he cried out against him. And he stretched out his hand saying, Arrest him. And then the hand which he stretched out withered so that he could not even pull it back to himself. And the altar at which he stood split in two. And the ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. That happened 322 years before Josiah was ever born. 322 years before there was ever a person named Josiah. And God says, I got a man. And he's coming out of Judah. And his name is going to be Josiah. And these are all historically documented leaders. And yet when we open the Bible and we avail ourselves to the supernatural power within, we, we think, now who besides God can tell you 322 years before a person's even born what their name's going to be, where they're going to come from, and exactly what they're going to do, and it come to pass exactly the way he says it. Because he's committed to distinctiveness. And it just shows you the heart of God, number one, to call people in the act of wickedness to repentance. But number two, you can see the heart of God as he's patiently awaiting the one who's going to come and bring a change. I'm just telling you that God's committed to your legacy this morning. He's committed to it. I don't know. I don't know. It, it may be the bleakest thing you can imagine, but I want you to understand. The, take it from somebody who knows firsthand. God is committed to your legacy. And I don't want to scare you with all the truths of the fact that God's going to hold you accountable. I'd rather encourage you with the reality of the opportunity that you have to take ownership of the influence that you have on others and, the, and take ownership of those you allow to influence you. And to make hard choices in discretion. And don't expect people around you to do something you're not willing to do. So you first stand up before the Lord and take ownership of what you read in the Scripture. And you say, God, today, regardless of all the yesterdays and what has been today, I'm going to follow you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I'm going to take discretion of what's around me. No matter how hard those conversations may be, no matter how what, what, what conversations have to be had, no matter how, listen, why would you not do this? You know where this culture is going to take you if you let it. And don't expect a popularity award because you're not going to get it. But there's nothing more difficult and more rewarding than being distinctive. Because look at what's possible.
Josiah changed a nation. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, but I'm not a king. Well, I'm not either. But you're somebody just like him. And you have people around you that you influence. And so how's that going to work out for you? What's your plan? What if you say today, God, in the same way you did this, the, the unthinkable in Josiah's life, will you do that in mine? And I'll do the hard work. I'll exercise discretion. I'll make hard choices. And you know what God will do? He'll honor that. Here's the, here's the headstone of Josiah when he passed away in 2 Kings 23. It's, life is summed up this way. It says, Now before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. Would it be that maybe that could be you? Today. It starts today. Now you say, I don't know. Listen, I do know. And I'm telling you, being distinct is not just being different. See, there's a, the world's full of people that just want to be different, and they're weird. If you just want to be different for the sake of different, you're a weirdo. You just want to be weird. The world's full of that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a different kind of distinct. What God is calling us to is different plus purpose. You see, we're not being different just to be different. We're being different for a purpose. And our purpose is, is that we want the glory of God to emanate from our life. We want to exit this life. No matter how long we may have had, we want to exit this life and know that what we did while we were here is we left a godly influence on those that were around us. We impacted people for Christ. Would you commit your heart to the God of Josiah today? Would you do it? Would you do that?